This is producer Warren McPherson, and you're listening to the Urban Tellers Podcast, featuring stories and storytellers from Portland Story Theater's live storytelling series, Urban Tellers. Portland Story Theater's mission is to build community, promote understanding, and foster radical empathy by giving voice to the real, true stories of ordinary people. Narrative and storytelling can be really powerful and impacting because what folks need is relationality. They need to be able to relate to one another. They need to be able to yeah. feel as if they belong. And I think nothing does that as well as story does. Hi, I'm Lynn Denny. And I'm Laura Tower. And today we're at the Story House and we're talking with uh, Bernal Cruz Munoz. Bernal told a story recently that was called Love That Name. Great. And I love that name. Love I do that too. Name. Uh, so we're going to take a listen to that story. And when we come back, we will have a conversation with the one, the only, the famous, the fabulous... Bernal Cruz Munoz. So I come from a family with uh, some pretty cool names. I have an older brother. His name is Geronimo. Geronimo. And I got a younger brother, and his name is Valentino. Fabio Valentino Cruz, Fabio Valentino Cruz, and I'm Bernal. Um, I've got two little kids, and um, this is a story about how one of their names came about. So we moved from Guatemala in 1990 to the United States. We came directly to Portland, actually, and uh, we were very lucky. We had an uncle and aunt and cousins. We had a grandmother rest in peace, and a grandfather who still lives with us. Um, and we came in an airplane, and we landed, and we were seeking asylum because we left six years before the Civil War in Guatemala ended. So it's a little complicated, but we landed here as tourists. Just kidding. We can't go back. <laughs> we submit our papers, and um, 15 years later, we get a call. So I land when I'm 13, and I'm 28 and I show up at this appointment, this interview, right? My interview lasted five minutes, and stamp. That's it? Yep, you can stay. Wow. So that also meant, actually, that I could go to grad school and pay, like, a reasonable amount of money instead of, like, you know, international student rates. So fast forward another 10 years, you're probably figuring out how old I am. Um, ten years later, I finished a degree in social work from Portland State. And, uh, yeah. And not so coincidentally, I ended up working with unaccompanied children. And, yes, I came here with my family and I had a great deal of support and my story is not like theirs at all. But there is a connection and I feel very sort of drawn to the work. And uh, in my spare time, I volunteer a lot also with refugees and immigrants. And so the focus of my whole entire effort professionally is immigrants and refugees and unaccompanied children. But, you know, social work is really rewarding um, in many ways, many, many ways. And it's really exhausting as well. Um, social problems, I don't know, I might get in trouble, but they kind of just change. They become a different problem. I don't know that we can say they go away. You know, they become a different problem. That's what I think. I think maybe that's what happens if you spend too much time thinking about these problems. <laughs> 65 million people in the world are displaced right now. That's staggering, right? And the truth is there's enough space for people in the world, but there's not enough friendly communities for them to go to. So it's really dangerous. If you start thinking about this, you end up thinking, does this even have a solution? Or what am I doing? Again, don't think about it too much, because then that's what will happen, right? <laughs> so as social workers, we start thinking, okay, I gotta take care of myself. And the work that I do, actually, is pretty lonely. My colleagues are here. Love you guys all. Thank you so much for being here. But the truth is, but the truth is, I'm the only person in the state of Oregon that does my job, right? And so when I'm like in my basement, like pulling my hair out or at the table in my house, I feel like, man, it'd be really great if I could just call somebody. And I know I have lots of people here who'd be like, call me, Bernal. But I gotta work, right? So 
I recall an experience in the School of Social Work and a class that really made a huge impact on me, spirituality and social work. And this class, I thought, I should take this class because there's a lot of people out there who rely on their faith a whole lot and they're very religious and I'm not. And I want to respect that religion and I want to respect that faith. So how do I talk to, that's not what the class was about. It didn't teach me that at all. The class was about, you're a spiritual being. How do you sustain spiritually? So you can keep doing this thing that you're trying to do. And I wasn't so sure I was a spiritual being, but by the end of the class, I was like, I am. And I'm kind of desperately in need of some practice that will make me feel like I can continue to do this. And I thought long and hard about that, and I really took it to heart. This is the class that I think about the most out of all the classes. I still do. So I landed in this place. I think I know. I feel spiritually fulfilled, and I feel like I can keep doing this when I'm surrounded by like-minded people and people who feel like their work is worthwhile, and they're not going to give up. And so I actively look for folks like that. And many of them are here in this room. <laughs> and um, at the encouragement of a previous supervisor of mine, I applied to a program, um, has a really fancy name. It's called uh, Global Mental Health Refugee Trauma and Recovery. And there's also some folks who are in that program currently. But that program is put on by Harvard Medical School and um, it's a two-part program. You go to Italy for two weeks and you hang out for two weeks. Yes, I'll do that. And then the other part is you gotta be online and do your homework, which is really interesting and you learn a great deal. But when I landed in Italy, um, it became really obvious very quickly that a topic, a huge topic of it all was healing, which we all need, practitioners need it. Um, not to mention folks who are experiencing life in refugee camps. Uh, folks who have experienced tremendous violence and are traumatized, so we all need it. Healing is this thing we all need. And I'm like, yes, I, I, I buy that. And one of those healing forces is beauty. And they really drive this idea. The healing force of beauty. And it's really evident from the moment you get there. You're kinda, you take this bus or you take this train to the town of Orvieto. And Orvieto sits on this huge rock, very high. And there's this beautiful church, the Duomo. And uh, the town is medieval, and it's got all these secrets and ancient history. Everything is beautiful. Of course, the program itself is beautiful. The food, you have wine with lunch, what? <laughs> you know, cappuccinos in the morning, all you want. And uh, we get to spend time with each other in the evening, and I met beautiful people from all over the place and all kinds of different backgrounds, all very intimidating, actually, you know, the people who are very accomplished. I'm like, I just graduated from social work. And among these people, these beautiful people, I met two priests. And um, one of them was like a priest I'd never met before. First of all, he was decked out, designer clothes every day. He also was very handsome, because that's not unusual, right? He had this beard, and uh, he had this presence about him, and uh, he's from Iraq. And he's 33 years old, and he has this presence. And I had all these conversations with him, and almost every time I spoke with him, I ended up crying. I am a crier, disclaimer. I'm like the crier, the crierest of the criers. <laughs> Thank you. But this was beyond that. I mean, almost every time we talked, I would cry. And I realized, <gasps> something spiritual is happening. That's why I came here. It's happening. And I was just like, every time he said something, I would gravitate and listen. And then I found other people were doing the same thing. And we all just were like, what's up with the priest? He's this force, <laughs> you know? And um, one thing I can share with you is he, he told us this story, right? He was, we're gathered around, and he's the priest talking. And he says, um, he shared this story. He's the priest of this parish in Mosul, Iraq, which is um, uh, dominated, it's uh, been occupied by ISIS. And so he's a victim. He's, I mean, he, he's persecuted. Christians are being persecuted in this area. And he's the head of the parish, so he's particularly vulnerable, right? At the end of mass, almost every day, he'd gather some friends, and they'd go on a hike, and along this side of this cliff, there are these caves that have been used for the same purpose for hundreds of years. And they would go in these caves, and they would take wine, 
lanterns and Bibles, and they would just study scripture and debate and talk. And I, I just wish I could be a fly on the wall and understand Arabic. Um, and so they did this. And by the end of the evening, folks would go back to their communities. But some folks would stay in the caves because somebody had to stand guard. They knew what could happen if, they, if somebody invaded, if somebody found them. And part of his job was sometimes, every now and then, at 3.30 in the morning, he'd drop the Bible and grab an AK-47 and walk on the ridge and wait and just see if anybody was coming to protect this parish. And so I used to get goosebumps. I'm actually getting them right now, but I just imagined this man doing this with so much love for his parish. And that really stuck with me, right? While we were there, this is in 2015, November 2015, there was an attack in Paris at a club called the Bataclan, and the Eagles of Death Metal were playing there that night, rock and roll band. And there was an explosion, and people died, and people were injured, and it sort of contributed to this already emerging narrative that exists, because ISIS ultimately claimed responsibility for that attack. And among our group, there was a couple of French people, and they were very upset. I remember the next morning, one woman who was from Paris was calling home, trying to find out what had happened. And so I was really affected by that. We all were. And I was also affected by the sentiment that just kept coming up. See, my friend, the priest, most people, including me, if I had just met him, I wouldn't know that he's a priest. I mean, the way he looked, the way he spoke, Arabic. I don't know if he's ethnically an Arab or not. I would just associate him with that. And I would imagine most people would think he's probably Muslim. So I started thinking about him and what he has to encounter for the rest of his life, where he actually doesn't represent any of those things. But that kind of sticks with him, and it stuck with me for sure. So it was very sad. But I have to acknowledge that it didn't keep us from going out the very last night we were there together. And we all did, actually. Um, there was a salsa band, of all things, playing. And I saw him dancing, and I saw him drinking. And we left together. And as we're walking back to our hotels, and we're about to go our own way, he says, hey, Bernal, when are you leaving? And I say, I leave tomorrow morning. What time? 10 o'clock. Where are you going? I got to go to Rome to get on the plane, to go to Amsterdam, to go to Portland. And he's like, so you're going to Rome? Yeah. Where are you going? I got to be at the Vatican. Oof, cool. Let's take the train together, he says. And I go, I would love that. I want to keep chatting to you. And I'm like, oh, more crying. Okay, I would, I would love to do that. Let's do that. Let's get on the train together. And so he says, 10 o'clock by the arch. And I said, okay, I know what you mean. See you there. 10 o'clock next morning, I show up. By the way, this is the first time, the only time it rained the whole time we were in Orvieto. And I show up, and good morning, good morning, Father. And uh, he says, Bernal. We're leaving, Orvieto, Orvieto's crying for us. And I said, ah, I think Orvieto knows we're leaving. I think it's showering from us. <laughs> and he had such a good laugh about that. And then I said, oh, here's a kid's like toy store. Hey, father, would you watch my bags while I go in here? I'm gonna go buy something for my son. And he says, yeah, sure. I go in, spend a few minutes, I come back out empty-handed. And he says, do you find nothing for your son? Do you find nothing for Agustin? Nothing's, nothing special for him in there. And I said, ah, I have something really special for Agustin. I was finding something, I don't think I told you. My wife is pregnant, we're expecting. And he stopped and he looked at me and he says, Bernal, are you, are you having another baby? And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> he says, are you having another son? I go, I am. And he goes, Bernal. And then he said this. He says, your body can function if somebody cuts off your fingers or your whole hand. And if somebody cuts your ear or if, some, if you lose your eye, if you lose your leg, your body will still function. At some point, your body doesn't work anymore. And that's what's happening to my parish. Everybody's leaving. People are being killed, old people are dying, and nobody's having babies. So I pray for all the families in my parish, and I pray for all the kids in my parish. And from this day on, Bernal, 
grabs my shoulders and I'm just bawling. <laughs> I, will play, I will pray for your sons and your wife and your family every day. Why are you crying? <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm so touched. And I really was. And without saying anything, he just held me and he gave me this hug. And I think it was the best hug I've ever had in my life. And we got on the train, and when we got to Rome, we had this dude, goodbye, we're like, catch around. <laughs> goodbye. I would say goodbye. And I spent the, ne that day, the rest of that day getting to Amsterdam, and then I kind of was in this hotel near the airport, nothing. I was too exhausted and just inundated with thoughts, you know, and I just wanted to be alone, so I gave myself like a day and a half of silent meditation to think about all these things I'd just learned and this experience I'd just had and this guy who just showed up in my life and did that to me. And when I got home, after thinking all of this, I greeted my wife and I embraced her and I said, I have so many things to tell you, but I'm gonna tell you one thing right away. I met this guy, Father Aram Kia, and I think it would be an act of love for us to name our kid Aram. And she said, I love that. But I get to pick the first name. <laughs> and I said, I'm good with that. <laughs> and his name is Joaquin Aram Cruz. He will be two years old soon, at the end of this month. And in the meantime, what I didn't realize, and I never anticipated, is that every time I say his whole name, Joaquin Aram, or if I just see him, I have to ask myself, where is Father Aram? Is he at the Vatican? Is he shopping for designer clothes? <laughs> Is he in that cave praying for my kids next to his AK-47? What an amazing story. I just, I was so moved. So good. Yeah, well, yes. it just gives me real insight into an aspect of life that I have no firsthand knowledge of. Right, it's beautiful. right, right. It's so personal and yet so universal. Anyway, we're going to take a very short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Bernal Cruz Munoz. If you enjoy live storytelling, go to wherever it is you got this podcast and search PDX Story Theater. There, you'll find hundreds of stories that have been told at Portland Story Theater shows throughout the years. Listen and enjoy. Hey. Hi, Bernal. Hello. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks We're for having so me over. so great to see you. Thanks great for to coming have you over. Yeah. Back Thank here you. at the Story House. Yeah, yeah. Well. we miss you. It's good yeah. to be back. Thank you. Good energy. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Well, we uh, really enjoyed working with you uh, on that story and having you in the group. Um, and tell us about what that was like when we uh, recruited you for the event. You know, that was uh, so serendipitous to me. It really yeah. was. Yeah. We, uh, we hadn't seen you for, or for quite some time before that. And then... You Everything just came together, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I had reached out to Linda for... Um, for um to lynn actually but then there was my linda included my linda. In that's why i'm getting R things mixed right. up but lynn i had witnessed you play marimba previously and uh, years ago in yes, another lifetime a very very yeah. long time ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh I have uh, at, at the crazy hat party in that's the basement right. Right? that's right that's yes, exactly yes, right yes. Yeah, yeah yeah and so suddenly i had this idea that my five-year-old might really enjoy marimba so i reached out for that for maybe some resources and connection uh, and Lynn just reached out and said, hey, what do you think of this project? And uh, it had been actually on my mind for years. Um, I have uh, some dear friends who have said things to me, you know, Bernal, you're always talking about how you're not artistic, but 
you know, you tell great stories. You mm-hmm. should tell stories. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and whether I'm a good storyteller or not, I'll let other folks decide. But the fact is, I've been exposed to some great stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, uh, many of them, I'm like, it's such a shame that <coughs> that this is sort of where they end. You know, like I, I can hold them and I can, you know, they're precious gems that I have. Yeah. But I would yeah. much rather really share them with everybody. So the opportunity to do that was, like you say, serendipitous and actually really amazing. It really was, um, yeah. And I'm also professionally in a place in my life where I feel like more can be done. And I think that a lot of what I intend to do is humanize the experience and uh, help mm-hmm. shift the narrative that that is all a responsibility. And that's what storytelling can do. So Fantastic. serendipitous is absolutely the right word. Yeah. And I think the thing <coughs> that was really interesting to me, of course, uh, this particular show was a special edition urban tellers for the immigrant and refugees. And it's very odd to recruit people that you already know right because how does it ever come up in conversation hey Mm. are you a refugee right hey are you you an immigrant were you born here were you right i mean it's just weird you know why would you ever talk about that you know we we had known you uh, Mm -hmm. uh, for for 10 years Mm -hmm. but and you know obviously you're latino you Mm -hmm. you you know bernal Mm -hmm. cruz right Mm -hmm. but but did we know that you were born in Guatemala? No, you know, right. It's all, right. Not at all. No. So no. it was no. just so. Just because he dances the salsa, great. I mean, I know, you know. <laughs> I know. Which is not true, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I was thinking of <laughs> Carrie, your wife. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Carrie's a phenomenal dancer. Um, no, you're absolutely right. I and uh, these are things I kind of don't think about because I think it depends who's asking you right. and where you've been asked. Right. 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 Because I have no problem evidently sharing my story, you know, right. and talking about it. But I have had experiences where people will ask me uh, during Awkward. a time that seems inappropriate. You right, know? Yeah. Um, right, right. Yeah, I who wants to know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. why are you asking of, uh, me this? Right. Yeah. 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 Or or how about, you know, sometimes people who have had experiences fleeing from one place to another, which is traumatizing, and then resettling or, or going living in a refugee camp, which can be traumatizing, and yeah, then going yeah. to another country to resettle, which is the third of the, of, of the triple trauma paradigm the triple is what trauma. we call it. Yeah, you know... Uh, to ask anybody to just casually tell you their story about that. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I by mean, the it's way. To, yeah, you know, right. Tell yeah. me about this other tragedy that happened in your life, you know. Right. So right. I have right. had an experience in yeah, the past let me, where... Let me pick a scab right. and open exactly. up an old wound, right. Exactly, right, yeah. Right, right. So, so somebody once did ask me about that, you know, in a very sort of informal setting. And I gave him this look and I said, uh, would you like to know that story right now? And he kind of insisted. Oh, um, and I kind of let him have it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. kind of gave him all the ugly stuff, you yeah. know. And yeah. uh, right. I think my part of my intention was perhaps it wasn't the most astute or kind thing to do to him. And perhaps it was passive aggressive. But it was a way by which I showed him, like, you know, I'm somebody who I think can handle telling this story. Not everybody can. But you're mm-hmm. in a position working with immigrants and refugees where you might need to think more uh, carefully about when you're asking this question. Right. Who are you asking it of? Right, right. And why are you asking it? Right. Why right? are you asking yeah. it? It's almost like <coughs> it's almost like. Human nature, you know, there's a motorcycle accident on the road and Mm -hmm. you don't want to look, but you look. You can't look away, right? And, you know, when there's these kinds of deep uh, personal tragedies, Mm -hmm. sometimes people have that Mm -hmm. uh, desire to be a voyeur and Mm -hmm. just, it's odd. It's human nature, though. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're trying to not create that. And that's why... We tell people who come through this special edition, Mm -hmm. we try to make it exactly like a regular Mm -hmm. urban tellers. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell your immigrant and or refugee story. Right. We d- you know, if you want to, that's fine. Many but people do because you know, that's, you know, part of their core narrative. But, you know, that's not required. Well, what I really appreciated from this process is that it was essentially um, left up to me. Right. I mean, there right. was uh, certainly enough it's guidance. Your story. Yeah. Right. There was certainly enough guidance and support and, uh, you know, a lot of things that I hadn't considered or thought about. But this was for me to share. And uh, I also really kind of took to heart this notion that the story was going to tell me something. Right. 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 And so right. I was anxiously anticipating how will I be different at the end of this process? There's something for me in this. What's right. What's Versus the transformative piece? Right. Yeah. Versus this experience I had with this person was kind of subjecting me um you right. know to to sort of expose myself really truly only yeah, for their kind benefit, of an interrogation you know? right right yeah, yeah. well it's, it's, it's just like here you be vulnerable but i'm not mm-hmm. going to be vulnerable yeah. i yeah. mean you know in this art form 
everybody's vulnerable the listeners the tellers yeah. i mean everybody who's present to uh receive the story is mm -hmm. really uh very open-hearted mm -hmm. it's a mm -hmm. you know we try to set that tone mm -hmm. so people understand this is um important mm -hmm. that you are able to put on your best deep listening mm -hmm. uh skill and try and really do really that receive mm -hmm. the story yeah. Well, that certainly was my experience. Yeah. As I it well, it story. was such a wonderful audience. It really night. was. So receptive. Oh, we had a great yeah. audience. Just yeah. really, yeah. really, really yeah. wonderful. I yeah. had a couple of people approach me afterwards. Um, two of them were named Jesus. Jesus. Which uh -huh. is oh, right. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just really interesting, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, one was from Guatemala. Oh, uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah. And he was like, I'm, I'm so glad that you've shared this. And it's really a pleasure to listen to it. The other person was... Um, um, uh, I think from a from a religious organization, and mm -hmm. they also just wanted to say hello and yeah. comment yeah. on that. Yeah. So that was really neat. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was so serendipitous. While we're still talking about serendipity, that you know, not only did it turn out that you are a, a an immigrant and and mm -hmm. a refugee, but also that that's the focus of your your work and your right. life. That you yeah. work with immigrants and refugees and yeah. unaccompanied minors, and you actually knew quite a bit about that world mm -hmm. and that that realm that mm -hmm. was that was yeah really that was so interesting to really wonderful to us for mm -hmm. us yeah. to mm -hmm. tap in firsthand mm -hmm. to that area of uh work because we've been trying oh mm -hmm. my gosh you know yeah mm -hmm. but it's very difficult to get through yeah uh because it's very insulated mm -hmm. and i mean with good reason mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. there's a lot of bad scary things happening mm -hmm. right and um you know we uh look relatively harmless but you know you can't mm -hmm. always go by the mm -hmm. looks you mm -hmm. know and our intention with the whole project is to continue with our mission of building community and reshaping mm -hmm. the narrative mm -hmm. for all of us yeah so it's more honest and stronger and uh something that can build resilience in all of us yeah because uh, these are very interesting times to live in. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably been like that in the history of the world. Everybody thinks that their time is really challenging. But, yeah. well, but right, it just right. seems, you know, yeah. it seems like that to yeah. me. It is, an, it is a very interesting times in that regard. I mean, the truth is that the U.S. has been resettling refugees for a very long time. Right. And times very large numbers, you know. Mm -hmm. But this conversation hasn't been going on forever. Right. You know, and... And uh, it wouldn't have been totally abnormal, I think, in the past to approach just anybody in the street and, and recognize and assess and determine that they have very little knowledge of what the process is. Right. Or who is a refugee. For instance, what's the difference between a refugee and somebody who's been as granted asylum? Right. 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 Which, incidentally, I've been granted. Uh, well, we came pursuing asylum. Right. right. Which right. is different than the refugee process. But I identify as a refugee, and we can talk about well, that. No, we I had do, another yeah, guy yeah. from Chile who yeah. was <coughs> granted asylum under... Uh, Janet Reno, mm -hmm. when she was the, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the AG, yeah. yeah, the AG, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, but he identifies as right. a refugee as well. Yeah, so it's a very interesting time yeah. because now, when the number of refugees that are being accepted into this country is less than half, right? Um, <coughs> which you know we talk half about of what it's been in half the past. of what it was before, which was a hundred thousand, right? Right. Oh. I mean, sixty-five million people are displaced. We're going to take sixty-five million, right? And this country might take. 100,000, actually less. We're going right. to do less than 50,000, right? Right. I mean, it's really ultimately half of a drop in a bucket, isn't it? You know? Right, right, But right. the conversation has never been yeah. so... The conversation has never been so alive and so divisive and so so polarized, so many feelings, right? right? As yeah. it is right now, which is you know, uh, it's commentary. I think to your point, Lynn, that you know we all think that our times are really interesting in living, but I think there's something particular about this time and this topic. Yeah, you know, yeah. it seems like real. it to me. <laughs> but um, I find, yeah. and I think a lot of people do, regardless of what your background is. I mean, I'm actually a native Portlander, mm -hmm. and currently, right now, mm -hmm. the story house is one mile from where I grew up. Yeah. So talk about rare. a s small town. Yeah. But I'm very sensitive to what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people's lives are really uh, being disrupted mm -hmm. by the ideas and the actions that are taking place. And there's this deep sense of uh, helplessness mm -hmm. uh, for everybody, mm -hmm. you know, and we're all kind of wanting to do something. Mm -hmm. At least that's my 
drive in right, life right, and right. I want to do something. Mm-hmm. And so this art form, I mean, on the one hand, it's just storytelling, you know. It's not like, you know, brain surgery or, you know, uh, the what are those guys, uh, Doctors Without Borders. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not something like right, that where right, it's right. really, wow, you know, mm-hmm. wow, dazzlingly but it's beautiful. But it's what we do and it's what we can do. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we think about, well, what can we do mm-hmm. to improve the situation in the world, mm-hmm. maybe it's not much, but we can offer people a chance to tell their stories mm-hmm. and be heard and maybe open some minds and yeah. expand some Well, and I think that when people come, just being a listener right, is right. really doing something. Mm-hmm. So, And not yeah. just the immigrant refugee stories. I mean, just any... Every show, right. Every story, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. is where someone has really worked to receive their personal message and then right. choose to <coughs> share it. Yeah. Well, every show and every story, the the message that we're really trying to get across and the mission is that we're all just human beings mm-hmm. and every one of us is having some small piece of the human experience mm-hmm. and come and listen to my story and maybe you'll hear your own story yeah. in it. Well, I think that spirit is right on. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you from my experience working not just with the immigrants and refugees themselves, but with agencies that are trying to support and help and local governments who are trying to help and support. What I would say is, you know, across the board, one of the greatest determinants of somebody's health when when they've moved from one place to another Mm -hmm. is do they feel stable? Do they feel like they're going to be able to be okay? And -hmm. you can't possibly do that when you know that at some point you're going to be uprooted again and moved somewhere else. So the first thing you need to know is, am I going to be able to stay? When you're Mm. in a refugee camp, you know you're going to go at some point. I mean, it's (coughs) not ideal. You shouldn't really be there for a very long time. But as you know, people spend upwards of 20, 25 years. A lifetime. Look at Namach in our group. She was there 10 years. Wow. But still in the back of your mind, you know that at some point you're going to have to go somewhere else. And so that doesn't help you settle in. And to that doesn't to help your down health. Roots, exactly, right. yeah. So when somebody finally lands in their resettled country, right, the U.S., Sweden, whatever it is, the hope is then that you'll be able to establish roots and that you'll feel like you belong. Right. And that's where I think this, this you know, narrative and storytelling can be really powerful and impacting because what folks need is relationality. They need to be able to relate to one another. They need to be able to yeah. feel as if they belong. And I think nothing mm-hmm. does that as well as story does. Right. right? Yeah. Right, right. Um, I have a, a very quick example of somebody who I know spent 20 years in a refugee camp and they finally resettled in the U.S. And when they found her, they said, good news, you're going to the U.S. And uh, she and I sat down and we were talking and she's from Southeast Asia. And um, she said that one of the most terrible things that have ha- has happened to her is that now that she's surrounded by people, she no longer lives in the jungle by herself. Mm-hmm. Now that she's surrounded by people, she feels more lonely than she did when she was in the jungle because yeah, people yeah. just walk right by her. They like never acknowledge invisible. her. They never yeah. see her. She is totally invisible. Uh-huh. Uh, she struggles with, you know, finding dandelions or other herbs and things that she knows she could potentially eat and cook with. But she doesn't pick them because she doesn't want to embarrass herself or displace people emotionally who might think like what a weird person why is she doing that does she right, not know that right. we have a plaid pantry right here yeah yeah you know or a safeway or whatever and so you know mm. not being able to feel as if you can relate to the people around you and knowing having the certainty that people around you can't relate to you right is toxic you know that's ultimately really the most harmful thing i think uh-huh, you know uh-huh. and so story can do that definitely right. yeah. Hello listeners, Portland Story Theatre is a 501c3 charitable organization whose programs, including this podcast, are made possible by generous donations from people like you. If you'd like to make a donation, visit the Portland Story Theatre website at pdxstorytheatre.org. I found this quote the other day. It's pretty interesting. It says, your story could be the key that unlocks someone else's prison. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to mm-hmm. share it. And yeah. I think that's really well. what this is all mm-hmm. about, too. Yeah. You know? And I think the prison that so many people are in nowadays is that prison of loneliness mm-hmm. and that prison of feeling different and yeah. feeling like they don't belong. Other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of um, 
modalities of therapy. I think one of the first questions I had as a social worker is, you know, when we decide that we're going to work in the interest and for immigrants and refugees, I have a problem with that because how do we define that? I mean, we yeah. know that a Bosnian <coughs> refugee from I the agree. 90s is not the same thing mm-hmm. as a refugee from the early 2000s from Somalia, you know? Right, so right. We, we create these categories and how is it that we are establishing uh, what is the theory behind this? You know, yeah, and so yeah. I, 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 I was pointed in in the right direction. I feel you know by people who are knowledgeable. Um, perhaps one of the first few things that I realize is that just because something doesn't have an answer that you can wrap your brain around doesn't mean that this isn't evolving, right? right, right. And so the process is very sure. important, right? You have to acknowledge that you can't apply what was good for Bosnian refugees in a certain era. Of for now, you, you have to acknowledge that and accept that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that none of that was good, right? right and right. then there's more theoretical concepts like, you know, assimilation versus acculturation. Yeah. And these, these concepts really sort of like, I think are applicable to just about anybody because they are uh, transcendental. They're universal concepts about people's dignity uh, and um, self-determination. Well, to the point now where all of us are immigrants in this mm-hmm. country, only the native people mm-hmm. are uh indigenous to the united states and it's so interesting to me to watch all this terrible emotional rage really Mm -hmm. about i'm an american Mm -hmm. and you know no dude your people were from italy or they were from germany or they were Mm -hmm. from france Mm -hmm. or do you know what i mean yeah yeah it's just like okay you've been here like five generations good for you but you know yeah wow it's so i've only been here three i'm i'm the third generation Mm -hmm. here you know and Mm -hmm. and and i think plenty of people uh, you know they're they're first or second or yeah but but all of us came from somewhere else yeah and it seems like how quickly we forget right because we know that you know, Irish folks didn't have it very easy. Italian folks, Jewish folks didn't have it very easy when they right. came here, right? Right. And it wasn't that long ago, you know? No, no it wasn't. Th- but this aggression that happens is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like to prop yourself up because here comes a new, more vulnerable population. And so right. let's pick on them so that right. we can feel yeah. better we about ourselves. We, we right? rise up a little bit exactly. in the pecking order and yeah. then we and then we exactly. oppress well, let, those who are below us. Let's talk about, too, you know, that when yeah. you went to that training uh, in Italy... Mm-hmm. And um, how you really f- connected with other people, mm-hmm. uh, not just uh, Father Aram, but, you know, yeah. all kinds of people mm-hmm. who are doing this work all over the world. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little more about that. You know, I know there was, you just sort of said that in the story, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Right. It w- I think it was really a significant thing for you. Right. It was, very much so. <coughs> um, this is all pretty loaded, but I'll try and be brief. I think um, within my family, there was always a pressure. I think this is true for a lot of immigrant families, you know, that there's few options. Engineer, doctor, lawyer. Those are really kind of desirable High professional right, achievement. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, there isn't really a whole lot of um, um, excited feelings if your child decides that they're going to be a social worker for example you right. know uh, social right. worker means different things in different countries right right right, right. in fact uh, i don't know social it problems it's certainly are not a high paying right. job certainly uh, is a high right? status yeah, job certainly right. is not and i would argue that if you really want to affect social change maybe you should be an attorney you know and i wish i had a time machine because litigation <laughs> is fantastic for those things but <laughs> uh, but my heart is in this profession you know and i love mm-hmm. it um and so um, I, I did have the support of my family, but yes. this is very strange to all of us. You know, uh-huh. Bernal's going to be a social worker and he's going to work with immigrants and refugees. We barely just made it out of all of that craziness and, 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 and sadness and desperation that we felt at some point, you know. Right. Um, and now Bernal's choosing to go back in, <laughs> in yeah, some what? other way. You what? know what I mean? Yeah. Right. But I didn't really, the social workers right. who I, I respect and admire in our community are for the most part clinicians, you know, and I've learned a lot from them, but it's a whole different um, a whole different profession, a whole different way of looking at things. And so um, I kind of went in head first and I started learning as much as I could and making the connections. And I felt that my network really had to include people overseas who were doing things differently than the U.S. Mm-hmm, is doing. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of bounced this idea off of one of my supervisors who incidentally was at the show. And I made direct eye contact with her when I said at the suggestion of one of my supervisors. Right, yeah. right. No, a lot of your people were there. A lot at of the people. I was so grateful. Yeah, you kept I was referring very to that. Oh, yeah. they're all here tonight. <laughs> I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, <coughs> I applied. You know, mm. essentially because I needed to sort of connect and start developing a, a network of folks, not just in the U.S. Right, but internationally. Right. I think other countries can really show and teach 
professionals. I'm not going to go into what governments can do for each other, but, you know, just professionals can learn from one another in this mm -hmm. field. Um, you know, Greece is doing fantastic things. Germany has really stepped up their game, um, and they're surrounded by countries that aren't doing so well, uh -huh. but they're very determined to do some things well. Sweden is another country that's doing things really mm -hmm. well. And so that was a really great opportunity for me to start doing that and also to talk with folks with different disciplines and, and uh, you know, just Well, and to on build a network and some exactly. community. I mean, yeah. that's what your story started out mm -hmm. was about how difficult and sometimes lonely this yeah. work can be yeah. and how you just needed to have a network of other people yeah. who do the same thing and who understand. Yeah, I'm in touch with them. I was just texting back and forth with one of them today, you mm -hmm. know, and I received another colleague just published an article and she sent it over email and, you know, we're all very proud of her. And um, th that little cohort continues. I think yeah. we're the 10th year of that program. Uh -huh. um, and so many of us are still in touch. There's apparently a Facebook page where, you know, there's a reunion being talked about and somehow I'll find out about it eventually as yeah. I'm not on Facebook. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it goes on and uh, there's a little club, if you will, of international folks mm -hmm. trying to do mm -hmm. this kind of work and they continue to be very inspiring. Uh, to me and that's opened a bunch of different doors <coughs> actually so not to get ahead of myself here but you know as a result of that program and having graduated when I came back to Portland I started recognizing really without searching I started identifying folks who are local who have graduated from that program mm -hmm. oh nice mm -hmm. yeah and there's like three or four of us oh you know? good oh that's great yeah and that's a lot for uh yeah you know, Portland's yeah, kind of a yeah. small exactly yeah <coughs> and one of them um Hmm. whose name I don't have permission to say, but at least yeah. one of them and I got together and, well, I shouldn't take credit for that, but she basically started a nonprofit organization that aims specifically to provide technical assistance to other governments, to other agencies internationally as far as like, you know, when you decide that you're going to develop a program to help resettle or to support refugees and immigrants in your communities, there's no textbook, there's no rules, right. there's right. no play-by-play, -play, there's no YouTube video, No guidebook. but there are yeah. people in the world who have been doing this, so let's work together. Mm -hmm. And so to that end, we've traveled to Greece and Germany and talked to folks about how things are being done, what, how can we collaborate and support one another. Uh -huh. And it's opened other doors. The North American uh, Refugee Health Conference is happening here this year in Portland. Uh -huh. Wow. Uh, historically, it's been in Toronto or New York. Right. And so... Um, and do I remember right that you were invited to speak at That's that right, conference? That's right, yeah. That's so right. awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and so this woman who graduated from that program, who <coughs> um, you know is executive director mm. for Rain International, um, you know, we have collaborated and we'll be presenting. When is that happening? Uh, in June, June 8th. Oh, uh, nice. June Coming 7th, right up. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And incidentally, I think you'll be excited about this. The topic of our workshop is changing the narrative within us. And <laughs> oh, that's right. You <laughs> mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. That's no, so that's great. That's very good. Because well, uh, well. that's totally um, what yeah. our mission is. Right. Yeah. 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 Get people talking about things and thinking about things and connecting at a level where Telling. they have permission to talk about some right. things. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and to be able that to tell use. that same story in a different mm -hmm. way and, yeah. and accent something yeah, never, never lying. Right. I mean, but it's just getting to the emotional truth and really shaping it in a way that yeah. is supportive and brings some power and right. Yeah. light yeah. and hope. Yeah, and I think also just shedding some light on things that we sometimes don't allow ourselves to question. For example, right. you know, we use so much terminology that is designed to dehumanize folks. Catch and release. <laughs> I mean, Lawrence and I know that that's a fishing term. Yeah. You know, but right. the border folks the boor use it oh my to God. talk about people. No kidding. Wow. You know, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been in an environment where a child, an 18-month-old, was <laughs> delivered to a program, and the paperwork said the body and the belongings were successfully delivered to XY agency. The body, this is a baby boy who's very yeah. much alive. Yeah. yeah. He's lost from his mom. Right. You know, who's crying actively. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Right. Um, you know, alien, the word alien, we continue oh, that to use so that. Oh, that is so weird. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, what is that? I, I mean, I think the whole um, origin of these yeah. terms are just so, uh, yeah, they're designed to dehumanize. <coughs> and it's because I think that, like, in any of it, when we can dehumanize one another, then we cannot care. Right. We yeah. cannot care, right. and we can. We don't have to feel that for them. We don't mm -hmm. have to recognize them as fellow human beings that uh, have the same 
type of goals and mm -hmm. needs and desires mm -hmm. that we do, mm -hmm. you know. Right. Exactly. There's also some good efforts. Portland is has been using the term newcomer for a long time. Oh. Um, <coughs> and I believe in Salem, the word the wording that they're using is new neighbors. Nice. Which I think is even more inclusive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the narrative is really important. I think it right. starts with the right. words because we're so socialized to not really pick up on those things. I think we previously talked about, you know, uh, about when do we use the word asylum seeker? When do we say migrant? When do we say refugee? Right. You know? right. right. Because they all have connotations. What I mean are we the can go shades down the of list, meaning you know? between yeah. them, the distinctions? Right. And expat, for example. You right. know, that's another word that is right. that encompasses a certain level of privilege. Mm -hmm. But really, you're a migrant. You know, right. Right. Well, right? We wouldn't say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. 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 Well, that expat. Well, that's a whole conversation unto itself. Mm -hmm. But just the terminology. Yeah. They denote certain mm -hmm. levels of privilege and exactly uh, identify right. people in certain ways that mm -hmm. are that elevate them or uh, dehumanize them. Yeah, it gives way to classes. Right? Yes. And then we start dividing folks into different categories. And right. Well, oh. you said yeah. a minute ago the word alien, and mm -hmm. it comes from the Latin word mm -hmm. alias, I suppose, which simply means other. Another. Right? But that's the whole thing here is these words are used to other people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. to, to say, well, there's us and there's them, right? Mm -hmm. We're different from them. They're yes. the other. Yeah. And the whole goal, the hope of our storytelling program for the immigrant and refugee edition was to was to show that there is no us and them there's only us right there is and no other right yeah. there's just us there's just and us. i think yeah. that the whole world on many levels is really struggling to embrace that idea mm -hmm. right and i think too with this whole really the way we're connected globally now through the digital realm has really brought people together in a way that we never could have imagined. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a minute about the process for you. You mm -hmm. know, so, okay, serendipitously, you decide, oh, yeah, sure, I can do this. You figure out, um, you have a couple little kids. <laughs> can you get away those evenings right. to come do the workshop? You show up, and um, we have this process that unfolds for everybody what was that like for you mm -hmm. so i have been as you know as i've shared previously i've been sort of looking for these folks in the world who i feel connected to mm -hmm. and i know this feeling when i'm in the right place right i have it i have been able to identify it I suspect that folks who go to church have this feeling when they walk into their church. Right? Maybe, right, yeah. Right. Um, this is where I belong. Right, kind exactly. Of so I had that feeling when I first walked in here. Oh, you good. Know? Oh, that's immediately. So awesome. Immediately, Yay. I did. Mission and accomplished. Mission accomplished, <laughs> nice. folks. Yes. Yeah, and I felt safe and I was ready to fail numerous times and I forgave myself preemptively. <laughs> and, uh, you know, safety was very important to me. You know, I need to feel safe to mm -hmm. say this the right way. I need to give myself permission to accept that maybe there isn't the right way and whatever I end up with will be the right thing. Will be okay, and right. And and I suspect that it will be transformed. I will be affected by folk stories and this will somehow be something I can remember. And uh, yeah, so from day one, I had that feeling. This was where I belonged. Oh, good. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, and uh, people's stories were um, rich. It was so amazing yeah. how all the stories unfolded and just went deeper, deeper, deeper as yeah. the weeks went on and and influenced each other. Yeah. And as you know, when I s first started sharing some ideas about what I wanted to talk about, mm -hmm. I would think Lauren's words to me were something like, uh, that was a lot more like an essay. Let's talk about something that happened to you. So I have a lot of ideas and I have a lot I want to say about right, this right, right. This thing that we're all going through in the world you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it was really helpful for to hear that because you know i have all these things to say but i feel like the impact really comes when it's from right. here you know because right. this is what right. i know this is what i've seen this is what's happened yeah so from my heart this, this is, is what, what happened I know. to exactly. me exactly yeah right um because all this other stuff you can read on blogs and other mm -hmm. things you know when people have observations and you right. know opinions or you can give a speech <laughs> or deliver a talk <laughs> right. at a conference yeah. or something but right. the story yeah. is something a little mm -hmm. bit different yeah and uh and so you you gave me some really good questions both of you did and and, and so i was able to sort of hone in on what i wanted to talk about oh, that's wonderful. and why that was important to me but mm -hmm. i also have to thank my my peers in in this cohort of um storytelling because 
uh, the level to which they got personal with their stories really helped me do that. Yes. And I think it wasn't very long before I was crying in front of all of you <laughs> talking about, you know, yeah. talking and about you know, all the We cries. watched your, your, your story again mm -hmm. this morning mm -hmm. in preparation for today, and I was so um, touched and amused by how that thread ran through your story. You mm -hmm. talked about how you cried, I and cry. then you <laughs> announced to the audience oh, that yeah. you are a, a champion crier, yes. you know, and, and you kept coming back to that. I think you mentioned it three yeah, or four times. Yeah. Even with Father Aram, you said, yeah. yeah, let's take the train and keep chatting so I can cry some more, yeah. you know. And, and it, was, it was just such a lovely yeah. touch to mm. the story, such yeah. a a great thread to run through. Yeah, it was a very emotional time for me to it be was. there. Yeah, to be there. Um, and then having that incident happen in Paris, uh, I think kind of like threw me yeah. over the edge. Yeah. Uh, and then just feeling very strongly and uh, feeling a lot of compassion. I know it sounds ironic and I don't know how Father Aram would take that, but you know, I, I was just very concerned with with what he has to struggle with mm -hmm, around mm -hmm. the world and his existence, you yeah, know? Yeah. I mean, he's trying to do this thing that is so good. How could anybody argue that what he's doing is not a good thing? Right. And there's all these barriers, you this know, opposition. including his his personal safety, you right. know, and, right. and the survival of his parish, yeah. which is paramount, right? Right. But on right. top of that, he has to worry about how he's being seen at the airports and, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Coincidentally, when I, when I landed in Amsterdam, so the story, at the end of the story, you're able to hear how I went from Rome, Rome to Amsterdam to get home. Yeah. But when I landed in Amsterdam, I was uh, identified and taken for secondary questioning. Um, at, at the In Amsterdam the as I arrived. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh, and I think that really was like a dagger because this yeah. is what I was worried about. This right, is what I'm concerned right, right. with. You know, this is what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. like what does he have to, what does he have to go through, and why does he have to worry about it? And I was just like, I was angry. You know, yeah. I was yeah. angry about like this is this is what people like him have to go through. You come here. Oh, I have to go through this too. You know, this is especially <laughs> angering. You know, right, yeah, yeah. Right. and and the and the excuse they gave me was that they were doing a a, a financial inquiry. Is why they had pulled me aside. Financial. Inquiry. You're right. Yes. And so right. you know, I, I I gave the officer a look, and then I kind of looked at my clothes, and I was like, "You have to be kidding." Yeah. You know, right. I, I I cannot imagine that you are so ignorant about fashion and clothes in general <laughs> that you think this is what somebody who's wealthy looks <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> or that you think I'm so ignorant that I would, uh, that I would accept that, you yeah, know? So yeah, yeah. let's get through this and what do you want to know? He right. cracked a couple of jokes and he let me go, you know? But yeah. right. it just was like, it was the final thing that really kind of... It's weird to get pulled over like It's yeah. always singled weird out. to be yeah. singled out and yeah. questioned. And, yes. and, and those people have so much power, you yeah. know? And you are so... so uh, Helpless. Uh, you just have to cooperate and, and yep. hope that they don't get too weird with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I noticed about your story, um, you know, when we had been in group and you told it, the story several times, you know, and shared it with the group, how you had said, um, I'm not even sure if Father Aram's still alive. Mm -hmm. But I noticed at the actual show you weren't really able to say that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you were just on the edge. That's mm -hmm. how I see it emotionally. Right. Which, you know, that's a lot to get to. And, but, you know, tell us about that. And um, tell us a little bit about um, how maybe you're going to get to see him again. You yeah. Know? So, um, when I came back and I had the brilliant idea that we should borrow his name. I didn't assume that that would be okay with him. Mm -hmm. um, in some cultures, you know, uh, as as listeners and folks may know, uh, you don't name somebody after somebody if that person is still, alive. still alive. Correct. Right. Example, right? Yeah. right. I mean, that's one example. Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly in my culture, you can do that. And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of folks yeah. who do that. And Lawrence it's is, sure. uh, you know, his background is Jewish and you mm -hmm. don't do that. But okay. my background yeah. is, you know, Irish and you do do that. Right. It's right. kind of a way to right. honor yeah, right. a person right. who's <laughs> alive. And so when you don't know, the most honorable thing to do is to ask, right? right. And so I, I asked him via email. And, uh, you know, I want to reiterate that he's quite young, right? I mean, he's younger than me. Right, <laughs> and right. Uh, <laughs> and um, um, I didn't know how he would take that. And certainly he probably, as a Catholic priest, will never have kids of his own, you know. Right. And I don't know that this had ever been asked of him. So he replied by saying that this was the most humbling request he had ever had. Mm. Oh. And that absolutely so it was okay. And that uh, that he hoped to come to the baptism, which that didn't take place. But yeah. that's another story. Yeah. So, um 
you know that that's uh you know that that was ongoing conversation for a while um and then i just gave him an update every now and then and sometimes it would take a long time for him to reply mm-hmm. right. and i would have no idea and i don't ever feel like it's okay for me to ask you know have you been hiding Right. Um, I know, right. You don't know what's going on. on a scholarship to some this biblical school. This is the guy school. with the semi-automatic right. machine right. gun yeah. thing. You know? Right. Wow. And he's, I feel like, you know, he's wow. on a level of survival that's that's a lot closer to the bone than most of us uh, experience. I, I feel that's true, you right. know, but I also right. would not be surprised if he said, for instance, the Vatican has gifted me with uh, a scholarship to a biblical school in Israel and I've been safe. And I've just been getting a doctorate. I mean, I have mm-hmm. no idea. Right, you know? right. right. Who yeah. knows? Um, right. You don't know what's going on. Sure. Exactly. Right. And so I do know he's busy. And I know he that he f- uh, identifies as feeling at times persecuted. And he's very concerned with safety. Mm-hmm. So my emails are brief. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. And all I really want is a response. I just want him to say, still alive here. Yeah, thinking, right. Thinking still of here. This and that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hope you're doing good. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes it feels bad to put that pressure on and to be really frank with you i'm scared of not getting an answer right you know right. so i think it's a very natural thing of me to sometimes avoid that you yeah. know but yeah. of course what i really want to know is talk to him and see him you know and g- have news from him mm-hmm. so uh, my son turned two years old at the end of april uh, so what is that th- th- three days ago yeah yeah and on that day i took a picture of joaquin and i sent it to the priest and i said Somebody just turned two years old. I've been <laughs> thinking about you a lot. <laughs> and uh, he replied two days later. And nice. Guess what? I just cried. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's good. In fact, I sent that email, the screenshot, I sent it to a friend of mine. And she said, um, reading that just got me teary-eyed. It's probably because I, re- I heard your story. Right. <laughs> I, was like, I got teary-eyed yeah. too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. that's that last yeah. question. So, um Something we like to ask people Mm -hmm. to kind of wrap up the interview. Is there a character, Bernal, from real life, a a real character or a fictional character from a book or a movie or a play or a cartoon or a TV series Mm -hmm. who inspires you? Yeah, I'd say there are two, actually. Oh, good. Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, one's my dad. Okay. Um, My dad is, um, my dad's amazing. Um, He's a very humble person. He comes from very humble beginnings. Uh, he worked very hard to get to where he was. Um, and, uh, you know, life didn't work out in Guatemala. And mm-hmm. I think that that yeah. um, that really affected him. Um, sure. And he has always been a dignified person. And uh, he's lived a lot of things. I wish I knew half of the stories that he has to tell. Um, some of them are not good stories. We lived in a country torn by war. Right. He was, he was very much involved with that. Um, but he's taught me a lot, you know, and as he gets older and as we get more distant from our own culture, um, he has really taught me to appreciate that which connects you to your roots yes. because he does with everybody. And he shared with me, for instance, that he cried when the, uh, Erhu was being played and one of the other stories Yeah, because yeah. he recognizes that as like, um, you know, a connection to a somebody's root. roots, you know? Yeah. yeah. And ancestry is very important to him, you know? Right. And so that's one thing, you know, uh, he tells stories and he, um, he's very moved by, um, by what it means to be of Guatemalan origin. He's mm-hmm. moved by the music, by the stories, by the language, by yes. uh, losing, by, 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 by foods that are sort of being eradicated. Um, the and, the and loss he's lived of a culture. lot of, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's lived a lot of experiences where he was like, in the town of peoples and ate very sort of like um indigenous foods and and has has been very lucky to be exposed to that and he appreciates it and and i've i've learned that from him mm-hmm. um the second person who i would mention is and i brought him up previously is gabriel garcia marquez um the Gabri- writer the writer yeah yes um colombian Nobel prize um one of the first few books i remember completing reading was um the story of a shipwrecked sailor is one of his only nonfiction books. Huh. It's a story about uh, a ship that wrecks on the coast of uh, the in the Caribbean on the way back to Colombia, I think. Yeah. And there's a sole survivor. Wow. And he shows up back and he is uh, upheld as a hero. And then some news get revealed and suddenly everybody has a different perception of him. And it doesn't matter what he's gone through now. He 
is not such a hero. Wow. Um, and uh, mm. that that story really stuck with me because it, it, it made me realize, you know, it's like, um, you know, people can think great things of you and you'll be okay. Or people can think terrible things about you and you'll never recover, you know. Right. And I was young. I was like 11 or 12 when I read that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know. And from then on, I made it a point to get my hands on everything he had ever written, including yeah. newspaper articles, nice. magazine right. articles, and that sort of thing. And to my knowledge, I think I've read almost, if not everything, he's ever written close to everything he's wow. ever written. So nice. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's cool a, to make yeah. that that's kind of discovery. That's a large body of work, yeah. too. Yeah. And he's <coughs> the one who I shared with you <coughs> previously that he said on his autobiography, he says, life isn't exactly wha- what you've lived, but it is how you remember to tell it. Right. Right. And uh, right. I think oh, that's, that's true nice for a lot and of that's stories. That's wonderful right? because we, we mm-hmm. talk about that too in yeah. terms of the emotional truth of mm-hmm. the story. Yeah. Yes. It's not exactly what happened. It's how you remember exactly. it. It's how it felt to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That matters. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's brilliant. That's yes, beautiful. That's beautiful, Bernal. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming over and taking really the time to do the backstory to your story. This has just been really story. fun to yeah. talk to you and yeah, to see you again. Yeah, we've enjoyed seeing you again and talking Likewise. to you. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, until we see you again, may, may the, the narrative be with you. Woohoo! Today's program was produced by myself, Warren McPherson, Lynn Duddy, and Lawrence Howard. Editing and recording was done by Sweet Line Productions. Music was provided by Mio Neo, Werner Kratz Vogel, and Claudia Husman. If you enjoyed this program, please go to where you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review.